0: I think I'm doing those eyes. <laughs> I think I'm in love.
1: It was terrifying. The pain, the, the fear of being eaten. I
2: was drowning at the same time. I just accepted that I was going to die.
3: Was there a bit of fandom for you when he came on? Oh, you know,
2: huge. Yeah, and I did not try to hide. I did not try <laughs> to hide it at all.
4: Out of the Box with Serge Niggas on FBI.
3: Massive thanks to Alex Fire for the epic morning of City Music and Culture News. If you missed anything she played, you can head to fbiradio.com to catch up on mornings or any other program here on the station. Now, today I'm joined by someone who, to be honest, for for how young he is, he's had an incredibly illustrious career. In particular, when it comes to floating around the music industry and doing some pretty ridiculous things with some very high-flying artists. He was a Channel V presenter, interviewing the likes of Tame Impala, Smashing Pumpkins and the Wu-Tang Clan, before doing a stint in commercial radio and now public broadcasting at The Feed on SBS. He is Lebanese-Australian media sensation Marty Smiley. Mate, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. I've never been described as a sensation. (laughs) But wait, I think I picked that up. Even off your website, or off Wikipedia or something like that, potentially. I don't write my own bios. You know no. who, do, who does your bios? They They, need, they need to talk my to you mom, more personally. Nah. Your mum does. <laughs> You're kidding? No I way! Wish. But it, your mum's someone we're definitely going to chat about in this show today, actually. You been um, chatting to my mum? Well, no, I haven't. <laughs> Come <laughs> on, I would, I would love to because she this, sounds this like is a legend. Your life? <laughs> <laughs>
2: it basically is actually. It's a radio version of. I've always had this like wish to do like, a this is your cooked life where someone <laughs> just gets you on a panel and talks about all the messed up things you've done uh, over the years instead of the great things. So it's like it's like that roast show like in America except for it's actually
3: honest rather than bullshit and it's just like <laughs> legitimate roast. Yeah.
2: Everything you've done post 12 a.m.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good that's, a, that's actually a good
2: concept. Done. Have you pitched this before to I television networks? But uh don't steal it. Your <laughs> cook's life is coming to a TV station near you. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that I feel
3: I could have legs on YouTube though. Yes, yeah, I reckon. yeah sure. I reckon you could run this. As a comedy show, Like, I think people
2: would really be into it in this day and age. <laughs> they,
3: Who'd first, who would be your first? I think would,
2: that's the hard thing is finding talent that uh, want to talk about their <laughs> misgrievances and mistakes Who would be years. your first guest, guest on hmm. This Cook Life? Shane yeah. Warne.
3: Shane Warne. Imagine the things that that man has done. Oh, I don't even want to know, I reckon. He'd he'd be so sleazy in his approach. (laughs)
2: That's probably true.
3: It'd be disgusting.
2: Or what about, uh, who's the guy who actually hosts...
3: um, This Is Your Life? Yeah. What is that guy's name? Mike Mike Whitney? No. No, no, Mike. That's who dares wins. (laughs) 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 You get 200 bucks for... yeah, yeah, doing something you know. stupid. Exactly, I, don't, yeah. I don't even know who that guy is, but I don't even know where he is anymore. But that's such a... That was such a He's n- part of your dad's generation he of television. Is. This is true. It's true. It was a hell of an era. But look, we're going to do something different that we don't often do on Out of the Box today. Because the first song that Marty has brought on is such a scene setter and it's so bloody long. <laughs> that we're actually going <laughs> to play it uh, throughout the first chat to talk about... Lebanon, because Marty recently went back to Lebanon. You've Obviously, you've got these, these Lebanese roots, but what was the reason that you actually went back to Lebanon? And just give us, firstly, actually, let me start it again. Ooh. Tell us the name of this song, because I can't pronounce it.
2: Yeah, it's Abu Ali, mm-hmm. and it's by a artist named Ziad Rahbani. Mm-hmm. He's the son of probably the, well, definitely, the most well-known and uh, established... Artist in the Middle East. Her name's Ruz, and uh, yeah, he's a musical genius. Uh, he kind of mainly makes soundtracks for movies. and cool. This this track, yeah, it's like now I don't this know, is going to be how long is the- it? Fifteen minutes or something? <laughs> now, now this is going to be the soundtrack to "This Is Your Life"
3: on Out of the Box with Marty Smith. Exactly. Now it's <laughs> okay But look, you yeah, you went you went back to, to Lebanon, and I mean, you've got these roots there that go very deep. But why would you originally want to go back there?
2: couple of reasons. Like, one, um, you know, when you grow up uh, in a country where your parents or your parent, uh, my mum wasn't from, um, it feels like there's a missing part of yourself that is somewhere else. Um, And definitely growing up mixed-raced, I never felt like I was fully Australian and I felt like I was fully Lebanese. So I wanted to go to Lebanon and, I guess, reconnect with my extended family that's still there Mm. and i wanted to touch up my arabic so i did that intensively every day learning to write um and doing everything learning to cook traveling the whole country getting in a car and driving on the most insane manic roads that i've ever been on yeah, just trying to to see really what was out there and and um, see if that missing part of myself was there. <laughs> I mean,
3: there's there's a lot of misconceptions about Lebanon um, from Australia, I believe, uh, particularly Lebanese people in Australia. But for for the misconceptions that I guess Australians may have of a place like Lebanon as potentially being quite war torn and quite you know intense a
2: lot of the time. Is it that? Was it like that when you were there? Not at all. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, that is a misconception, I think, about Lebanon. And I think that, I guess, the media, the way it's portrayed here... I mean, I mean, Western media's portrayal of Middle Eastern politics is so far from what is actually happening in the region. In Lebanon, it's, am- it's amazing because you're in between a lot of tension in, in different parts of the Middle East. And a lot of the time, people are just living their lives and going about... Um, you know, their, yeah, their daily lives, uh, while all this stuff is happening around them. But there is no war on the ground. You know, in, in Lebanon, there is a particular like right now there isn't. Um, so I didn't come in contact with, you know, any of those sorts of things. And did, did any of the conflict in
3: countries around Lebanon, like, did any of it filter in in terms of a, a vibe that you could feel there, or did it all just seem relatively look
2: the closest cozy. that I sort of came to anything that. Felt like maybe some tension was boiling to the top was when Donald Trump declared Jerusalem as the capital uh, of Israel, and I mean, I mean to be honest, it's a sad kind of topic to bring up and talk about because you know they had protesters in Beirut that marched on the streets to the U.S. embassy and they were tear gassed and it was shut down quite quickly, um, but. Yeah, I mean, that's as far as things went. You know, Lebanon, Beirut and, and, you know, Lebanon as a country, these things, it changes every five years, ten years, just depending on what's going on around the nation. It's this, you know, it's really this wedge in between Mm -hmm. some very large powers. And throughout history, if you look back, you can see how... uh, over time, Le- Lebanon's really been caught between other people's wars. Yeah, and yeah, it's totally a, a shame. And it, but it's also an endearing, and um, it's a a survival story about a country that, despite all these things that have happened around them, they've opened their borders to. People in need for centuries actually yeah. you know it's almost a
3: crossroads for the middle east in some sort of way yeah totally and i mean in terms of the culture on the ground like i mean i know that there's some incredible kind of you know nightlife and music in in, in a place like lebanon <laughs> did you get yourself into any um amazing little situations that would blow the listeners away to hear about i mean their clubs
2: are amazing you know the their whole attitude towards partying is amazing um You know, we're broadcasting from Sydney and, you know, the lockout laws have crippled this city in so many ways. Being there over the summer was incredible because nothing closes. Yeah, wow. You know, your night doesn't start until midnight. You know, that's unheard of. And it was so nice to experience that. It was like being uncaged. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was very... That's what's really amazing is you've got all these different contradictions and really, you know, there's two different lives happening. There's several different lives happening in the one city. You've got young people who just they're not going to let their political uh, condition in the country get in their way of having a good time, which is an amazing feeling. It's also, on the other hand, there's a sense of recklessness and abandonment where they can't do anything about the situation happening. There aren't very good job, job prospects. So they party. like, yeah. Because what else do you do when you don't know whether... When, when the things are so out of your control, you can't actually decide the future of your nation. Mm. You can't trust the politicians who are in power to lead your to lead or represent you. So you're left with this decision mm. to like either enjoy yourself or or not. And that's like a really amazing thing to meet. Yeah. Was was amazing thing to meet other young people that really just like don't give a fuck. They just yeah. really trying to enjoy themselves while they can, and probably a lot that I've met trying to find a way out of the country. Oh. Was there much booze and alcohol and, and, and drugs or anything like that? Um, yeah, I mean, they drink. I mean, they probably don't drink as much as this country. Like, <laughs> Very few places do. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of interesting. Like, yeah, they've got different interests. Yeah. Um, certainly, like... Law, drug laws are much more harsh there i don't think that's something you'd want to be getting caught up in but um yeah it happens i mean they smoke a lot of weed well i'm like not or? weed. well no shisha like shisha everyone's yeah. smoking the hooker yeah <laughs> which sounds probably bad if you don't know what a hooker is but <laughs> yeah,
3: they're a big tall semi-bong um, looking thing but they're super nice they taste very good they, they are they're
2: horrible for you which I oh, found I out imagine. later I'd already smoked enough hookers <laughs> before I realised that do it's start really carcinogenic feel,
3: you do start to feel quite sick
2: because it's like you, there's so much smoke when
3: you're, you're smoking a hooker it's though. amazing it's like, they're,
2: smoking, oh. sh- they're, they're smoking shisha while they're eating tabuli and hummus <laughs> and then just like exhaling like after they've got all they have just got it's funny it's like (laughs) a whole mixture of things all going on at once it's a
3: beautiful beautiful scene i mean i guess like you said you you know you had this missing part of yourself that you went to reconnect with you know this this mother's side of your family i mean do you feel like once you went there and you did that and you had this deep experience that you did um kind of gain that part of
2: you that was missing um Hmm. in lots of ways yeah like You know, it's amazing spending, you know, 25 years of your life not getting that, to be honest. Like, I was there and I was meeting people in my extended family that I was like, I have never spent much time with you, but I feel a very close connection to your personality and what you're about and how you think about the world. And also meeting just, yeah, people of like mind that are a little bit manic and crazy like me. Driving on on Lebanese roads was probably the, mo- the, the <laughs> time where I connected most to myself. <laughs> I drive like a maniac in in. in did you in, only in just get your license recently? Yes, I did. So- in fact, this is probably not a good story to tell. <laughs> but um. You know, I've lost all my points. And uh, <laughs> so, and in Lebanon, those points you gain on you, the streets. For
3: being an idiot on yeah. the road. Um, nice. Nah, yeah, dude, I, I really,
2: <laughs> I definitely connected with that. I, I think one part of it is also you need to continue the lineage of your family through stories and, uh, you know, you want to continue those things on and... The tradition and, and culture of your past. There's a disconnection between myself and the gen- and, a, and a generation that sure. are growing up in this country where the parents are from and another place. And sure. yeah, I felt like I was able to link those things and find out stories my mum never told me. Find out, you know, the people that, but essentially she left behind. You know, sometimes at the border where they're all going to come together, and officials said that they'll only take one or two people. Yeah, so wow. that's a there's a lot of things to connect with and mend over time. I think me being there was gave me a chance to do that.
3: Sure. You're listening to Marty Smiley on Out of the Box and FBI Radio. And we're just going to let this track that Marty's players is number one just, just fade out so you get the last couple of minutes of that. And uh, we'll come back and we'll hear more about Marty's ridiculous life just after this. You're listening to Out of the Box and FBI Radio. My name is Serge Nigus. My guest here today is Marty Smiley. He's a presenter on the feed, journalist, reporter, all-around media guru. But uh, look, mate, we were talking before about your family connection to, to Lebanon with your mum. And and I want to hear more about your mum because she's quite an amazing woman, isn't she? Mm-hmm.
2: Shout out to Dalal. Um, we're actually not talking at the moment. Really? What yeah. do you mean? <laughs> Why are you not talking to your mum who's this amazing <laughs> woman? They are about to just... I like to tell, just talk tell to the world her about. through uh, public broadcasters, <laughs> <laughs> local, locally. Um, uh, look, it was. Uh, I don't really. <laughs> I don't know whether to go into it now. Ah, I, go
3: into it. Go into it. I want to hear more. I'm sure everyone else I wants to my, hear too.
2: I have my birthday recently, mm. and you know, I, I put in a lot of effort often to her presence. And, you know, if you put in a lot of effort to someone's present, you expect possibly to get something in return with the same amount of thought. (laughs) My mom has this habit of every year she buys herself the same present she gives someone else. It's really weird. Yeah. It's like she just... (laughs) Can you tell us the last, like, three years of what this gift has been? Um, Yeah. uh, Look, I I can't remember specifically, but, like, in this case... Last year we got my got my dad a DNA test like for because he's really into ancestry, right? Fair enough. Mum decided that this year she'd get me a DNA test and herself one, which completely defeats the purpose of me getting a DNA test. I'm fifty percent of both of them. <laughs> anyway, I don't think she liked me calling her out on it, so we haven't we haven't spoken since. I think she thinks I'm a bit ungrateful. I'm just being logical. Yeah, I, I don't get why people. Don't just be honest when they get given gifts that are shit. <laughs>
3: yeah, but that one's beyond shit, though. That one's just like... <laughs> it's pointless. W- pointless. Exactly. Completely worthless. But do you want one? Because I have one at home now. Do you need? Have you ever I've, done your DNA? I'm actually kind of scared about the idea of someone having my DNA on their data bank to be able to sell,
2: actually. Mm.
3: Yeah, I'm a bit sketched out by that. Well, the only idea. other
2: thing I was thinking is maybe mum isn't talking to me because the DNA test was given to me... Because I'm not actually their child, and she, that was her she, way of that's letting her you way know. Of letting me know. But now
3: you'll never know because you're not going to take the test. Yeah, I don't. I'm too scared. Maybe.
2: Like, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd give it I a go. I highly doubt she's doing that. I highly <laughs> doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. and it would make everything that we're about to say about it completely uh pointless. <laughs> but yeah no, tell tell us about
3: some some of these aspects of of your mum and and how she's influenced you over your life mum.
2: Yeah, so uh we're going to play I'm I'm play, my next song I'm going to play mm-hmm. is uh by Edith Piaf, Edith mm-hmm. Piaf. Uh it's called Lord. It's a it's a song that my mum and I shared together. I guess like She's a very important person in my life because she's stubborn and she's she's dedicated her whole life to helping people who are marginalized, persecuted, underrepresented, um, and really people like herself who migrated to this country, have been refugees, asylum seekers, um, people from different cultural backgrounds that really don't have access to as as much opportunity and jobs or whatever um, that people, who, you know, other people do. And, yeah, she did that um, as a commissioner uh, for multicultural affairs in, in Victoria. She did that starting her own um, practice in you know, organisation in Victoria called the Victorian Arabic Social Services. She's just like... Nor boss. She is a boss. She helped, or she tried, or uh, to help or create pathways for women to be uh, represented at the Fire Brigade in uh, in, awesome. in Melbourne as well, which was an extremely difficult thing to do. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that she's just an inspirational woman who I have just have the utmost respect for because of how she's gone about. Um, sticking up for people that often don't have a voice. And yeah, it, uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I've always been extremely uh, just taken aback and, and humbled by the things that she's achieved coming here as a 19 year old um, from a country that was undergoing a civil war mm. where she was uh, split up from some of her friends who lived in the same neighborhood, split up from her family. Uh, and had to start all over again as a yeah, as, as a 19-year-old in a completely new country. And then on top of that, chose to dedicate her life to help people who had been through a similar journey. It sounds like as well that she gravitated towards that and, and picked it all up
3: very smoothly. I mean, like, it would have taken so much coming from where she'd come from. I mean, mm. is, is that something that you think that you've taken on yourself? Like, and is there, are there parts of her that you see in yourself now? <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, when I was, like... Five or six, I used to go into radio with her when she was at SBS in Melbourne, and I didn't really understand what was going on. She was hosting an Arabic program for women. It was the first of its kind, and you know she's talking about women's issues in Arabic to you know people who were listening, who were women or you know whatever. Like this is the first time that that you could listen to something like that in the in the city, mm. and yeah, when I got employed at SBS last year, it was somewhat of a full circle I guess it did feel like <laughs> there was um, yeah more gravitas to it I guess and she is obviously proud of you know what I'm doing at the moment in promoting diversity and multiculturalism and you know I, I try to involve those things in my stories and working at an ethnic broadcaster public broadcaster like SBS it gives me an opportunity to tell those kind of stories um, so yeah well here it is Is Edith Piaf with Milord
5: Il fait si froid dehors Ici c'est confortable, laissez-vous faire milord Et prenez bien vos aises, vos peines sur mon cœur Et vos pieds sur une chaise, je vous connais milord Vous ne m'avez jamais vu, je ne suis qu'une fille du port Une ombre de la rue Pourtant, je vous ai frôlé Quand vous passiez hier Vous n'étiez pas peu fière d'âme Le ciel vous comblait Votre foulard de soie Flottant sur vos épaules Vous aviez le beau rôle On aurait dit le roi Vous marchiez en vainqueur Au bras d'une demoiselle Mon Dieu Qu'elle était belle, j'en ai froid dans le coeur. Allez venez, mi vous asseoir à ma table. Il est fait si froid dehors, ici c'est confortable, laissez vous faire. Et prenez bien vos aises, vos peines sur mon cœur, et vos pieds sur une chaise. Je vous connais, Milord. Vous ne m'avez jamais vue. Je ne suis qu'une fille du port, une ombre de la rue. Dire qu'il suffit parfois qu'il y ait un navire. Pour les reprendre après. Allez, venez, milord, vous avez l'air d'un monde, laissez-vous faire, milord. Venez dans mon royaume, je soigne les remords, je chante la romance, je chante les... Milor qui n'ont pas eu de chance, regardez-moi, Milor, vous ne m'avez jamais vu. Mais vous pleurez, Milord, ça je l'aurais jamais cru. Et bien, voyons, Milor, souriez-moi, Milor. Mieux que ça, un petit effort. Voilà, c'est ça. Allez riez, milord. Allez chanter, milord. Ta
3: You're listening to Out of the Box and FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest here today is Marty Smiley from SBS's The Feed. Now, before you did The Feed, before you did a bit of commercial radio, the way you made your kind of foray into the media landscape, I guess, was by winning probably what would be one of the most kind of coveted roles a young person who's into music and, and television could get, which was the Channel V presenter search. I mean, when you... When you got that and you landed this job where you you get to throw yourself in the deep end and interview crazy musicians like Wu-Tang Clan like how old were you and what were you thinking to yourself you've landed yourself into
2: I thought I mean I was landing myself into a dream like a total fantasy I had own I had thought of doing that role since I was 15 16 that's all I wanted to do I wanted to be a music television presenter that was it
3: <laughs> and then, but then, when you when you found yourself face to face with these big artists, though, like, because how old were you? Like, like twenty one. Twenty one. You're yeah. twenty
2: one. It was. And, my, I had my twenty first birthday on a Friday. I found out on the Saturday I'd won the competition, and I was. Huh. I moved from Melbourne to Sydney on the Monday. Wow, that's massive. Yeah.
3: But then, did you like? I mean, that's a young age to be sitting in front of some of the world's biggest artists. Did you ever have any moments where you freaked out, where you couldn't do it? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Definitely. Oh. A lot of the time. I've done so many dumb things, like just being nervous in front of people.
3: Tell us your number one dumb thing that you've done. I called, like,
2: Courtney Barnett her wrong name. Like, I called (sighs) her her Twitter name in front of her. I, like... (laughs) What's her Twitter name? Courtney (laughs) Melba. Like, I I was so nervous to meet her. I looked her straight in the face and said her name wrong. Like... (laughs) <laughs> uh, was, that, that killed me at the time did you, I was such how, a did
3: you, how did you smooth it over? Did you apologise did I, did, you apologize I for didn't
2: that? I was so I don't remember what happened Like I came out of it And then I was like oh, I definitely said her name wrong I saw it after and I did But uh, <laughs> um, But heaps of things man Like I told um, Osgir I was The Icelandic singer I was mm. so nervous I was trying to build rapport with him I told him that I'd had sex to his music <laughs> had you actually? Yeah. Oh wow, nice. And he, what did he uh, say? Was he stoked about it or no? He was like, okay. <laughs> like, he had not, he had nothing to say to that. He was the like, thing is was why, about- are you, why are you telling me this? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I wonder. Yeah, it's just, I mean,
3: is it? But that is a funny thought, though. I wonder whether any artists think like, oh yeah, write a song and go, I could people probably make love to this. Song. Yeah, they're gonna bang for yeah. sure. Look. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent there's
2: people doing that. But Drakk like, <laughs> for his music, if you look back at it, jacket, like it's probably not the kind of music that you'd think that do, right? You'd probably think it's music to cry to, which yeah. tells you something about my sex life. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. And I mean
3: like what what are some of the what were some of the best moments though? The moments that really like you, you know, you, you came out of it going like holy crap, I can't believe it. I just got to do that and I nailed it. How
2: many interviews did I have like that? Yeah. Um <laughs> Not many. <laughs> I don't know. To be honest, like I'm a massive perfectionist, so everything yeah. that I do never feels like yeah, yeah. I really fully nailed it. But I definitely had like, you know, great interviews where I felt like, you know, what they told me, I feel privileged to have heard. You know, like like what? Um, oh, off the top of my head, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. Even with like Wu Tang Clan, like. I found listening to RZA, like, pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, he was going back through his career talking about, you know, why he created the mythology around Wu-Tang Clan. That was privileged, felt like privileged information, you know. When even interviewing, like, I don't know, uh, James Blake, when he was talking to me about how he had to give up Really, a party lifestyle or enjoying hmm. himself on the road because his voice is so technical that it's impossible for him to not fully look after himself on a daily basis. That he can't be drinking alcohol, mm. like he has to have a really set routine because he doesn't want to give a poor performance when his whole set is based on his voice. Mm. Like I mm. think that's inc- that's incredible. Even just recently, like got to interview the front woman of. Um, high Tension, Karina Utomo, Utomo, and she I had this incredible answer to a question about where she, because it's a heavy metal band, she had to learn how to death growl, and like in an industry where there weren't a lot of women that she saw in Australia doing it, she was teaching herself to do something that she saw predominantly men were doing, and finding that growl in herself was like a journey for her to actually find yeah, her voice wow. which yeah, i yeah. found like really amazing and calling on like aggression and repressed anger um to voice that is Yeah it's an yeah. interesting
3: one isn't it because i mean like i often think about death metal and those kind of hardcore styles and you know go like do, the people that are fans say it's relaxing for them in some way and it's mm. because of that release i mean totally did you did you pick that up with her is that what it was about it was about actually uh, getting rid of that sort of thing isn't most people the idea of even admitting that you have any anger stuck inside you is, mm-hmm. is, is is stigmatized as being a bad thing you shouldn't be angry at all right in society that's the way we we perceive things but do we all just have a little bitterness that we need to get out through some death metal sometimes <laughs>
2: Well, 100%. Like, I think we all have... She she says it in the um, the interview that I had with her. She says everyone has repressed rage. It's whether we're willing to do anything about it or not. And for her, you know, that repressed rage comes from her background of the injustice that's happened to uh, Indonesians under the Sahato government. Mm. And, you know, for her, that rage is about learning about in those things that have happened and... That's pretty remarkable. She's talking on behalf of people who are, have passed, whose secrets are lying in the ground and may never be revealed. So it's hmm. <laughs> yeah. like generational trauma and anger. Um, and yeah. for her, the, what she reveals is like I can't, like I, I can't push that down. It has to come out of me, and the way that it comes out of me. And, Is in heavy metal through Screamo. It's awesome. Yeah, it's a really good interview. If you you want to check that one out, you can you can jump. You can see that on on
3: the feeds, Facebook side at the moment. Actually, it's a it's a really fascinating chat that you'll see with Marty and her. But um, look, moving on to the music again. Um, song number three, Jackson Five, I Want You Back. Mm. I mean, why'd you choose
2: this song? I said to you before, like the Friday I found out I won the Channel V competition. On the Saturday I had my uh, twenty-first birthday. I played this at the event, and it just felt like a milestone. And it's also just my favorite song. Like, <laughs> it's just straight up makes me feel happy. I actually never listen to it. It's one of those songs I don't <clears throat> want to ruin. Yeah. yeah so yeah. it just makes me feel immediately happy as soon as you hear it. <laughs>
3: You're listening to Out of the Box and FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest here today is Marty Smiley from The Feed on SBS. Now, look, something that you've done in your life quite consistently is is youth
2: work with Reach Foundation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what is the basis for that work? Uh, I guess we get people together, young people together in a room and discuss things that are going on in their lives, really, and with the hope that it might boost self-esteem, confidence, um... And, yeah, offer support network, a safe space for people to talk about issues that they're facing.
3: What are the issues that a lot of these kids are facing
2: that you, you actually come to deal with? A whole range of things, really. I mean, anything that you can think of that you're all facing or struggling with in your life, there's a good chance that a young person is, you know, undergoing the same. But it's the, probably the first time that they're trying to deal with it themselves. Um, depression, anxiety, um, loneliness. Um, but I think, you know, going into high schools, which I did... For four, five, six years, and I still do sporadically um, when I have time, uh, you know, you're hearing about young people that are being bullied, might have a lot of things going on at home that that they don't really talk about at school. And so when they're being bullied or when they're being shy or however they're acting in the classroom... uh, often that might be linked to some things that, you know, they're not able to talk about mm. um, for fear of judgment. Yeah, because I think, I guess, something that stigmatizes
3: quite a lot, particularly in Australia, is the idea that you can be confident and aspirational and have goals and dreams. And so I think people can get themselves into ruts. Is this, is this something that I guess you kind of work on when you say you try and instill confidence in people? Is it you're trying to help them realize that they shouldn't necessarily feel bad or anxious about the fact that they might want to achieve something that is beyond what their social cohort thinks they should be able to do?
2: I think more we make, we focus on breaking apart some of the behaviours that lead to uh, a really judgmental school, mm. like a really judgmental cohort. So, um, you know, a lot of the work I was doing mainly was at large-scale events with 500 young people. It was called, they were called Heroes Days. And those days were about giving people a chance to get beyond some of their labels that they might be given in school um I know you know I was given a the first label I had I remember in primary school was scab because I had eczema yeah it well, was yeah. an awful awful yeah, yeah. <laughs> awful uh comment to get. To get called or like, and then when in high school, I was a wog, you know, because I was like the only kid from a different background in my social circle or getting past some of those labels is so important that you're so much more than them and and other young people can start to see you outside of those things. You can talk about how those things affect you. And so you actually, you never really get a chance when you're in school to actually talk about some of those, some of those things. Yeah. yeah. Um, And yeah, of course, aspirations and goals are so important to to think about at a young age. Not everyone's going to know what they want to do. I was fortunate enough to know, you know, at a young age, what I wanted to do, but it was because I had someone who simply believed in me. Mm. I think Mm. that is often what we try and do at the Reach Foundation is as a facilitator or a youth leader, just letting a young person know that we have a belief in them, um, even if other people are failing them in their lives, you know you might not have uh, parents who are very active, you might not have like siblings or friends so who do you who do you turn to if you are in that situation, I think yeah, Reach tries to fill in that gap sometimes. And there are a lot of other organisations that are doing a similar thing. Yeah, you know?
3: yeah, totally. And there's a song that you've brought on <clears throat> for us now that you were saying is basically like... It's it's like the youth worker song always <laughs> for Reach. Um, it's yeah. it's Spit Syndicate, Contour Lines. I mean, run us through why this
2: was such a big song for you guys doing, doing that kind of work. Spit Syndicate and Horror Show particularly were so integral in like... Everything I was doing <laughs> when I was just at the, you know, being a youth worker three or four days a week and doing uni or whatever, getting in a car and going off to a regional town or, yeah, just going to different high schools around the country, this song was, like, the soundtrack to all of it. And also I just think it was something that a lot of us related to, what um, Jimmy and Nick were talking about and solo and at it, like... They were just so great at summing up, like, I don't know, a moment in time and also, like, the youth experience. And they were very honest. I also think, like, they have some of the best voices in production in Australian hip-hop. And just Australian hip-hop in general was, I think, the most relatable to young persons, the most diverse genre that this country has ever had. Um, and, yeah, I mean, this song, man, this, is like, incredible production, incredible, so well-written Um, I think it's one of their best works yet
1: There's a war going on inside We ain't safe from Walls that we strip The paint from a talking All them leaves Sprawled all over the corpse Of yesterday's sign Let's take it from once Upon a time When the incense burned I used to love her yeah? here You live and you learn If you give and reprieve Still the pain stays on Like the very same song Used to push repeat on To put me to sleep She screams leave me here Go ahead Go ahead and leave me She wept The well of forever The letter reads You are not allowed to Just in and out wherever you please She's tired And I'm trying to sing Set her free and still I remember the blood binds us forever These cold door's find us So check the clock on my granddad's watching I watch the two hands stop dead in the breeze And check it, you ain't gotta tell me I'm selfish mother, I know that Even when you're crying, it's I got somewhere to be Being that I'm an only child, leaving the home Me leaving you lonely, there's really fucking with me And I know, forever lies Only in the hearts who believe in it So wherever I go, I really do hope that you follow There's no more pride to swallow Open the blinds, up, invite
6: tomorrow Go on a catch my eye, and you can take my heart Said so we put this together, we can take it apart Looking back over the contour lines, and we traveled across on this path You can take my hand, wherever I am, till dysfunction does us part It does us part, it does us part Till dysfunction does us part, it does us part, it does us part Till this function does a spa, it does a spa, it does a spa. Till this function does a spa, it does a spa, it does a spa, it does a spa.
7: There's a war going on inside We ain't safe from Shots ring out All up in the place on To wake these sleeping dogs They never lay long Never much to do but clutch A day's gone We got enough regrets and memories To scale the fence between best friends and enemies But I don't have the energy I'm exhausted All that's heavenly eventually slips Yeah, we had our differences Still enough same. to brush the rain off And tuck the frown So we take this winding road Even though the map's been held upside down because I've seen those very same tears I'm sure tried to leave but I know I've been here before sprung the very same league without a peer to more when the storm clears I'm a steer to shore Sweet mistress, bleed me, cut me, leave me Fuck, I should be so lucky I know she needs me more than she loves me We fight, we fuck till it's beyond ugly Tell me that I feel so far away Even when she can lean and touch me She don't trust me, and that's two of us We can never walk away and that ruined us Catch my eye, and you
6: can take my heart Said so we put this together, we can take it apart Looking back over the contour lines And we traveled across on this spot you can take my hand wherever I am. Till dysfunction does us spot it does us spot it does us spot Till dysfunction does us spot it does us spot it does us spot Till dysfunction does us part, it does us spot it does us spot Till dysfunction does us part, it does us spot it does us part.
1: Yeah. Who would have thought that the sun rose that next morning I caught it, the cold slept in, hurt pressed ignore So that last night's stars had forgotten to fall And hold them all inside of in my heart I poured to my surprise I saw the flowers in the hall A welcome out on the floor with a brand new door and the
7: reflection of the man you saw was no more. We can start with hello. And I don't know how we came this straight from the essence. But at some stage, you must walk away from the wreckage. From a stolen kiss on a ride home to fight night, white knuckles and a dial. We can laugh and cry until both eyes ache. Or scream these walls down for old time's sake. But that ain't gonna take us anywhere but here. I hold you too dear.
3: You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus, and my guest here today is Marty Smiley from The Feed on SBS. Now, you um, grew up in a pretty intensely religious kind of family, especially for your, your childhood and your, and your teen years. Run us through that.
2: Um, I mean, I'd, yeah, I went to church every Saturday. Um it was like an evangelical American judo-Christian church. Which is pretty wild. It's a mouthful, and it's also hard to get your head around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah difficult to explain can, to most people.
3: Can, can you lay it out for us in the most easily understandable way? Because it, it just sounds convoluted to <laughs> most people.
2: I mean, it is, man. Like, I don't... I mean, look, I still have friends that attend church and, you know, power to them, but I think... Uh, it it is hard to get your head around because they basically it marries the old and new testament of the bible. Mm. Um, so I grew <laughs> up like keeping all the Jewish holidays and calendar. So Sukkot and Yom Kippur and all, all these kind of things. Yeah, like, yeah. uh we kind of had different names for them, I guess. And. Then yeah, we kept the Sabbath on Friday. I didn't mm. work or I didn't do anything on a Saturday all growing up until I was like twenty one.
3: Yeah. And tell and, me, is this something
2: yeah. that this is something that your mum adopted
3: and your family adopted here in Australia? Or was this was this something that was also part of
2: like your Christianity was was part of your Lebanese heritage as well? No, Mum's Maronite Catholic. Okay. So yeah. it was um very separate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's something that my dad yeah brought, brought yeah. into the family. Yeah. And from a young age he You know, he felt like he had a connection with um with God, and he had felt a connection with this particular um way of life, Hmm. and he's carried it through. And what uh, do you think? And and and, and introduced it to his children. And and what do you think
3: that that comes down to? Like, is it about identity? What is it like? Why do you think that it has such a big impact on
2: people? Like, I think if you get raised in a religious family, um. You know, not just like going to a Catholic school. Mm. I find that you know, you go to Catholic school, you and I'm not speaking on behalf of everyone's experience, but you can reject what's going on at a school because you know you, you can think it's going to end by the time I'm 18, I don't have to do it. Um, but if you're raised in a family that is like hyper-religious, is mm. like it doesn't matter whether you're at home. At school, at church, it's all the same. Like it's you get, you're not, you don't really act outside of that prism of thought. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, it's um, it is, it, it is a part of, it becomes a part of your identity. It's very hard to shake. And so, for you
3: now, like, where do you sit on that religious spectrum? Then, I guess, like, where 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 do you position
2: yourself now? Where do you label yourself? I probably haven't been to church in seven, six or seven years. Maybe only to drop in and say hello to some people. I mean, these are people I grew up with and mm. still, um, you know, love and and the, I, I can still connect with people f- from religious backgrounds. I think I, I've gained that ability to really understand uh, what it's like to grow up um, in a religious. Um, Family and and around Mm. religious people who believe in something that's bigger than ourselves, in a God or in a faith. You know, the idea of faith is extremely hard to to describe to someone who has never had it. You Mm. know. Mm. An atheist describing what (laughs) (laughs) describing what faith is to an atheist is a very foreign concept. (laughs) Oh, is there
3: Um, any way of, of
2: simply describing it to to any atheists out there? Yeah. I mean, believing in something that's not there is um, <laughs> is hard. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, a hard yeah. it's a hard road to to go down. Um, but I really do think like all of this whole thing is about people think all across the world think differently. And yeah, respecting and understanding someone's point of view is so much more important to me than being right. Sure, sure. And musically, I mean, like the, the one thing like, you do get out of a
3: place like a church is like that there's an incredibly musical background to it. And I mean, Aretha Franklin, Natural <laughs> Woman, did, does this have any connection
2: to, I wish to it the did. church? No nah, dude. There was uh, no gospel at my church. Damn it. It was actually probably musically quite lame. <laughs> um, this song we're about to play, Aretha Franklin, Natural Woman, is an extremely embarrassing story. When Tell I was uh, at my brother's 21st, which my mom threw at Aurora, a Lebanese uh, reception hall in Thornbury, I think. Um. It was all, like, all the walls were, like, mirrors. There was whiskey on every table. There was gold everywhere. And my cousin had convinced me that to impress my brother on his 21st, and I was nine years old, was to sing Aretha Franklin's Natural Woman. I didn't really understand any of the words necessarily. Like, I I didn't really understand what Aretha was you know, singing about, and I was kind of, like, infatuated by my cousin, which <laughs> 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 which is very normalised in Lebanon, but really? yeah, <laughs> no, right. no. Okay. Uh, in my mom's generation, maybe, yeah, yeah. but uh, no, she, she's older than me, she was pretty, and I just wanted to do whatever she said. She convinced me that this would be a fun thing for me to do. So, like, I got up in front of 150 people. That's how many people were at my brother's 21st. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, I was like, You make me feel like a natural woman.
3: No way. 150 For, I, people at your brother's 21st. I did the whole thing. Wow, man What kind of respect So when you hear this kudos song did you just, get for that?
2: I got me nothing My uncle was like Are you gay? Like he fa- he was very taken aback From it. I, They didn't like it at all They wow. didn't
3: like We'll have a Yeah, we'll listen to this song As an ode to, to Marty getting up Think to his brothers' yeah. 21st birthday Wow, well done Looking out On
4: the morning rain oh, I used to feel So I'd inspire And when I knew I had to face another day
3: You've been listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus My guest here today has been the feed presenter, Marty Smiley. Now, mate, you've got to tell us a bit about some of the stories you got going on at the moment because you, you've dropped some crackers recently, in particular one about Nimbin. I, I want you to, to just give us a little bit of a sell on that on that show.
2: Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to go to Nimbin. <laughs> <laughs> I went when I was 18 and... You know, you have everyone... I was a backpacker kind of going up the east coast of Australia trying to see what was going on, and, you know, you'd always heard of this mythical place, uh, Nimbin, where you could score a joint. And so I did do that when I was 18, and I wanted to see if it was still considered the same way, whether it was still Australia's weed capital. And from what I'd heard, uh, there'd been... An incident or an operation that police had conducted in um in the area that had kind of crippled the whole system that they used to have, which was open dealing. Where, you know, for me, I guess I was fascinated by the idea that a place can exist outside the law. Like a place in Australia which is such a, you know, nanny state in so many ways that this place can exist mm-hmm. <laughs> outside sure. of that. Um and yeah, I mean, I don't wanna to give it too much away, but um, you know, what ha- have a look and see what we concluded. But, you know, the idea that maybe we don't have a wee capital anymore, um, is kinda of sad because I I think you you you, you erode culture when you over police and, and when you um when yeah, I guess these archaic laws that we have get in the way of um yeah, something like uh Drug law reform sure. for marijuana.
3: And in terms of, of future stories that you got going on, that you can let people know about to look forward to, what, what do you got on the horizon? What, what does Marty want to investigate next?
2: <laughs> um, you know what, man? I'm doing a story at the moment on Lucas Abella, who I think his other name is Justice Yeldum. He is a performance artist who plays uh, glass with his mouth. <laughs> he kind of like bleeds and cuts himself wait, and he like makes wait, noise Like music. blows
3: into bottles or like... No,
2: no, like jagged pieces of glass. Like, what? Yeah, like picture of. A- a uh, a, so- a triangle, <laughs> 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 so specific. Uh, but yeah, he cuts himself up on the stuff, and he yeah, he, he, he attaches contact mics to the glass so he can you, you distort can... the sound through different pedals and effects. And so, sure, wait, let me get this
3: straight. So he's. Cutting his lips and his mouth mm. with glass, oh. with mics People attached faint, to
2: it, fainted at his gigs, vomited, cried. Does it make and a nice sound, out. or
3: is it just like what you'd imagine the sound of glass cl- cutting flesh is, and that's the sound distorted through a, a pedal? <laughs> is that what is that what's going on here? Because I mean, I'd, I'd love
2: to give him a rosy review, but it's awful music. <laughs> <laughs> but I love this dude. I'm well. so fascinated by him. I find him to be a total genius kook like yeah you know, i went to his house i went and checked out his gig um and he's got a he's got two tracks coming out on a death Grips record
3: yeah that, i mean that in itself is ridiculous yeah wow well if you want to check out marty's stuff there you go you've you've got his his next story dropping other feed is about a guy who cuts his face with glass <laughs> and makes music out of it which sounds awesomely ridiculous it's been a pleasure having you on marty and uh look yeah thanks for coming out of the box thanks for having me bro but wait we've got one last song Oh, yeah. What are you going to play Ah,
2: Oh, I just wanted to play something I'm vibing on right now. You know, that's, I guess, for me, the party turned up. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? What is it? What is it? Come on. Um, and I'm seeing them this weekend, some kind oh, of. Oh, the a- presets. Excited, yeah, the presets. Hmm. And it's called Downtown Shutdown. Awesome. Here I you love go. This track. Thanks, Mike Smiles. smiles.